Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mind podcast and thanks again for tuning in this week. Hey, if you like what you're hearing on this show and you like the guests, like the super cool guests I got coming up today, Jesse Itzler, then please subscribe to the po- podcast on iTunes uh, or by going to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. Also opt in, meaning give us your email list so that we can, or your email, not your list. I mean, if you want to give me that too, that'd be cool. But just give me your email so we can keep you informed of what's going on. Uh, so also leave us a review. So help us spread the word. Anyhow, um, today's guest is pretty cool. He's got a lot of unique talents, very diverse guy. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, Jesse is a former rapper, uh, and then he's an entrepreneur. He's also a, an endurance athlete. He runs ultra marathons. He's a best-selling author. And the book he wrote and the shirt he was wearing, of a little, or it shows up on his Skype, is Living with a Seal, 31 Days with the Toughest Man on the Planet. And it's funny, Jesse, I don't remember those 31 days. I mean, is there someone, <laughs> is there someone else out there? <laughs> okay, so he's been a billboard. He had a Billboard 100 hit song. He founded Alphabet City Sports Records, Marquee Jets, and backed uh, one of my favorite um, beverage companies, Zyco Coconut Water, and is one of the owners of the NBA Atlanta Hawks. Wow, Jesse, uh, your career is interesting to say the least. It certainly isn't conventional. What the heck? How did you go from <laughs> writing Shake It Like a White Girl to the Atlanta Hawks? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I think, you know, most of the stuff in my life that's happened to me hasn't been planned. Right. You know, it wasn't by design. That's that's for sure. I'm a 900 on the SAT guy. So uh, <laughs> wow. I just kind of, you know followed things that I like and uh it it ended up working out pretty well. Yeah, obviously you you must find a passion and just dive in super super deep on it. Is that kind of what the way you are? I mean, that's I mean, let's start yeah. out with music. Like how did the music come into your life? Well, you know, I got lured into it at an early age. I grew up in New York at the time when, you know, rap was changing, evolving, coming up fast. Right. Um, and after making a little demo tape and sending it out my senior year of college to probably a hundred record executives and getting complete rejection from all 100. <laughs> right. I think I got more into it just cause I think I wanted the challenge of, uh, more than anything else. I wanted to see if I could, you know, it, was, it actually probably was less about the music and more about like 
man, that is like insane rejection. <laughs> I really want to see if I can be successful with all, around all this rejection. So yeah. I was very persistent. Well, that's good. My son loves rap. Um, I can't confess to love it like he does. But I am curious uh, to hear at least a part of uh, either Shake It Like a White Girl or, or, or your favorite your favorite one you've written. Come on. You said anything goes. So give oh, it, give man. It. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, for me, that was – it was a great part of my life, you know. Um, and probably the, the, the one of the best things that ever happened to me was at the, at the time probably the worst thing but was that my record when it came out didn't do as well as I thought it or hoped that it would. And I got a little tap on the shoulder from the record label that I signed with called Delicious Vinyl. And the owner told me that they we weren't going to make a second album. And, you know, for me, that was like a really big blow. But it ended up being the greatest blessing because it took my life in a completely different direction. And I started, got you know, I got involved in other things. And um, but the lessons that I learned going through as an artist, I mean, everything from when you're an artist, you have to create your own identity, your own brand. You have to deal with the legal aspect of it. I mean, you, the learning curve is just ginormous. And I, you know, I'd never taken a business background, a business course, or no business background, let alone any background in music. So right. it was like a crash course in what was coming in the future. It, it was, it was a really great experience for me. Yeah. But, but that, all that being said, Mark, I'm not going to sing for you. Oh, oh man. I am really disappointed, but um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to invite you out to Kokoro Camp, uh, and we'll get you to sing at Kokoro Camp. How's that sound? All right, that's a deal. Okay, good. That's yeah, we got a deal. All right, that cold water on me. No, this is this will be while you're in the cold water. Okay, <laughs> it'll be to warm everyone up. It'll be it'll okay. warm their hearts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, um, what what age were you when you were into rapping? Uh, you know, was this your teen, early teens or? Yeah. So sophomore year. So I was like, what, 15 or 16. And then all the way through college, I made a demo in college. Okay. Um, you know, just crazy story. I sent my demo out to really a hundred music executives and got all no's and no responses. And I was, uh, I was in the studio where I work at and one night and there was a cassette. Actually, I call it the cassette that changed my life on the music board, the mix board. When I walked in of one of my favorite artists, uh, a guy you might not know, but a guy named Dana Dane from Brooklyn who had his second album, advanced copy of his cassette. I was a big fan and no one had heard this album. So I kind of quote unquote borrowed it. I was going to listen to it and then bring the cassette back. And um, I was on a plane to L.A. and learned that a, a owner of a record label in L.A. loved this artist. His favorite artist was this guy, Dana Dane. So when I landed, I cold called the owner, said that I had a cassette of, of this guy and his secretary got it all mistaken and thought that I was the actual artist, Dana Dane, <laughs> and uh, said, Dana, if you can be here at two o'clock, Mike would love to meet you. And uh, I showed up at the office. I buzzed myself in as Dana Dane and <laughs> sat down in this guy's office. He walked in. He, I don't know if we can curse on this, but uh, he, he said, who, 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 who are you? Not so politely. Right. And uh, I said that Dana was running late and, and I worked <laughs> with him. And I put in my cassette and got a record deal. No kidding. Well, that took some cojones. No kidding. So you uh, we, you mentioned to me earlier that you looked at Colgate University, but you ended up going to school down in um, Washington. And I uh, see from uh, Ellison's notes here that you went to American University and studied criminology. Now, 
where the heck did that come from? I mean, I could see maybe business since you're getting into business with your music, but why criminology? You know, Mark, thanks for even telling me. I had no idea. Is that what I majored in? <laughs> I, I just checked the box. Okay. I just checked the box. Did you go to they accepted me. Once they accepted me, I was going to – whatever they wanted to take. Whatever. Criminology sounded good. No, I mean I, ne- I knew I was never going to get into – I knew that I – early on, I don't know, that I, I just never wanted to work for anybody. I always wanted to kind of work for myself or success or succeed or fail on my own. And I never had, to this day, I've never had a resume. And for me, I only had two goals when I graduated college. I wanted to grow my own fruit trees so I could like pick my own oranges and stuff. I thought that would be unbelievable if I could like grow my own food. And I wanted to make enough money that I could take two weeks off on vacation. If I, if I could work 50 weeks and then for two weeks, I could go to like Mexico to a nice hotel, I made it. <laughs> so I checked criminology and, uh, and started the journey. And you, but you, um, I mean, obviously you were working on your music that was distracting. You had uh, interest in business and being an entrepreneur, yet you stayed the course and finished up your degree. I did. Interesting. Okay. I did. So, um, I got my degree and, uh, literally signed a record deal about four or five months after, after I graduated. So I, I I came to an inflection point my senior year. I was either going to go into music, which I was incredibly passionate about, or I was going to sell a product called Aunt Franny's Brownies. My roommate, <laughs> my roommate had an Aunt Franny, and she would she would send brownies to us every month. And I was like, man, these brownies are incredible! Like, uh-huh. what the hell does she put in these brownies? And um, I took a course my senior year in advertising, and our final project was we had to create a fictitious product and present it to the class. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this as my litmus test. Like if, if, the, if the class and the professor react positively, right. I'm going to be a brownie salesman. <laughs> if they don't, I'm going to go into music. And I gave my presentation, you know, the tuition at American was $40,000 a year. So for $160,000 of what would be today, in today's dollars tuition, I can honestly say like I learned one lesson and it was in this class because halfway through my presentation, my professor stopped me and said, she said, Jesse, what's your point of differentiation? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm home baked. I have great packaging. You know, I'm, I'm like, I could be gluten free if you want me to. And he said, uh, he said, you know, um, there's a thousand brownies out there. And he's like, if you want to be a brownie, you better be different. So I said to myself, I'm going into music because I'm a white guy in rap. And in 1989, there was only one of us. Yeah, you're a different so that, brownie there. Yeah, that was my point of differentiation. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you uh, go from music into, you know, these other businesses that you launched, like the Marky Jets? What is Marky Jets? Is that a, a, a like a fractional jet thing? or? It is. Well, to answer, Marky Jet was a, a private jet card company. We sold time right, on, the right. net, on the NetJet fleet. We sold like 25-hour almost like a Starbucks card, a prepaid flight card where you could have all the privileges of owning your own plane with none of the responsibility. So on six hour notice anywhere in the country, a plane could pick you up and you just, you work it off like a debit card. You buy 25 hours, you fly two hours, you have 23 hours left. So, so, um, I got into music. I, you know, I, I got a tap on the shoulder and said they weren't going to do a second album. I flew, I was living in California and I flew to New York 
And I got a job as, believe it or not, as a kiddie pool attendant because I had the only time I could get studio time in New York City where I was living was at one in the morning from from one to seven. And the kiddie pool, the kiddie pool job started at 10. So I would ride my bike 25 miles uh, from Long Island to Queens, Corona, Queens, work at the studio, come back, get cleaned up and go go to the pool. And, um, you know, when the music failed for me and I moved back to New York. I, I kind of stuck with it. I stuck with it in the sense that I started writing theme songs for professional sports teams. And I did a song for the Knicks called Go New York Go in 1991. And it was kind of like became their anthem. And I got this crazy niche, Mark, and in, in, in created this category called sports music, just writing theme songs for professional sports teams. And um, I sold that company to a public company called SFX. And the owner of the company took a liking to me and my partner and invited us on, on a trip on a, on, and we flew to the Bahamas on his private jet. And when, when we walked onto the plane, his plane, it was like in the Wizard of Oz when everything goes from co- like black and white to color, like uh-huh. the whole world changed. <laughs> yeah. People fly on private and jets, they, like what? what? And we got off, the, by the time we landed, we were like, we gotta figure out how we could do this more often. Right. And, and that's, that was the start of what became Marquee Jet. And um, you know, without going too into the story, we ended up having a really successful company that we sold to uh, Warren Buffett's NetJet, Berkshire Hathaway's private jet company. And um, and that was the start of kind of like my first taste of success. Right. So um, not to back up too much, but would you be willing to sing Go New York Go for us? <laughs> <laughs> when the water hits me in the face. You know, if I sing at, at one of your programs, it could be part of the torture part for the for the other for oh the other, no no that, other amigos it might like be they have, they have to listen to me they might want to leave like, we had the, the, high, the highest quit you know ratio when you were singing <laughs> they'll ring the bell right they'll there ring the bell right all right well we'll get you on that sooner or later all right. so cool so that that kind of like launched you into big leads from there you made other investments and stuff but i want to kind of shift focus i, I have um I mean, there's just a ton of things that we could talk about, and I want to get to the toughest Navy SEAL who was not me, who stayed with you. But before that, um, our team was able to solicit some questions from the Unbeal Mind, um, you know, group podcast listeners, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to ask those because it'll it'll get into kind of your passion for running and whatnot. But sure. st- sticking with business, the first question is from Ryan S, and he's just asking, "What's the best business advice you've ever received?" Well, I, you know, I think I got, I learned more uh, from my failures than my successes. And for me, I, I learned two powerful lessons. I've had plenty of egg on my face through a, a product that I put out a couple of years ago. And the, the one, the, the two main takeaways were for me were one that everything takes time and you really have to be patient. Uh, you know, when, when I went in with Coca-Cola to Coca-Cola, around Zico coconut water, I remember the president of Coca-Cola telling me that it's going to take eight years to build this brand. And, and, you know, I want to do it overnight, right. you know, and there's no, it doesn't happen. You can't, you can't, you know, will it in or anything like that. It takes time. And the second thing is that nothing is more important than product. Right. You know, you could have a, a great idea with great packaging, with great endorsers. Um, but if the product isn't right, you know, an endorser is amazing because it, you get a guy or a gal that's, you know, a big athlete or a big celebrity Hollywood person. They could get people to buy your product once. Right. 
and they could get stores to put it on the shelves. But if the product isn't great, yeah. they won't buy it twice, right. no matter who's right. pitching it. So I made that mistake rushing to market, not being patient and, uh, and not having a great product. Yeah. I think that is excellent advice. Yeah. Most people, you're right. A lot of people do think it's all about the marketing and even the team and, and, and those are all important, but you're right. You got to have something that's going to be, you know, that people can get behind basically and talk about, you know, Zyko, I remember early on when it came out, I think you were pretty much the first coconut water that I detected on the market. And I kind of found it through the CrossFit world and because, yeah. you know, we were always looking for more healthy alternatives to put in your body and, and it was good. I mean, I, at first I was like, why would I want to drink coconut water? You know? Yeah. And the first one I was like, wow, that's really good. And I feel really clean when I drink it. Yeah. Good product. Well, you know, I, I discovered just to jump in, I discovered coconut water while I was training for a hundred mile run. Right. And I was doing a lot of research on like, well, if you're going to run for 22 to 24 hours nonstop, what do you eat? What do you drink? And I became my own human guinea pig for the, for coconut water. Nice. I tried everything and I realized like, wow. I just ran this whole race, 22 hours. I didn't cramp, and I was literally powered by the electrolytes and all the goodness of coconut just water. coconut water. Huh. Yeah, and I just became a fan of the product. Right. And ultimately, that led to, you know, the Z the Zico. Right. I understand gig. you can use coconut water as a plasma replacement, right? If, yeah. If you have blood loss, so coconut water can substitute for for actual plasma. Is that true? Well, that's what they, yeah, they did it in World War II. They used yeah. to hook up IVs, coconut water as IVs, right into you because okay. it's got the same makeup. Yeah, super close uh, makeup to human pla the, to plasma, the <laughs> human blood. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you mentioned, um, you know, running. Like I've run my entire life, but I've never run a hundred miles, and it's not even something I'm remotely interested in. I'll walk a hundred miles, but um, why did you get interested in running ultra endurance races? Where did that come from? Well, I, um, I decided that I wanted to raise money for charities and I wanted to do something that would get a lot of attention right. to raise the most amount of money that I could. And I knew that that wasn't going to ha be having a golf event or honoring a friend at a dinner. And that's what was going on in my community. So I wanted to do something that would be a little bit more shocking. I decided to run a hundred mile race. I had run relays, you know, 24 hour relays as a team. And I wanted to just see if I could do this. And, um, you know, when I started out as a runner, I was running three miles a day. Like that was my goal, get the three miles. And then three miles was like, let me get the 40 minutes. Right. Let me get to an hour and three minutes. And it just gradually grew up to a marathon distance. And then uh, I just said, you know what? I'm going to give myself 90 days and see if I can run 100 miles. Right. So I put myself on a crazy training program, convinced myself in my brain that I would be able to do this, right. which you know a lot about. Right. And um, once I believed that I could do it, it was just a function of how much willpower I have. It wasn't a right. function of you know, how much pain can I take and how much how much willpower do I have. Right. Not a function of what kind of athlete am I. Right. And that, that was a, that was the challenge that I wanted. Right. You know. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of confuse athleticism with um, achievement. You know what I mean? Like a, a hundred mile run. Uh, you don't need to be a phenomenal athlete. You just need to have the ability to put one foot in front of the other for however long that takes. I don't know. How long does it take to run 100 miles? It took me 22, 22 hours and change. But what happened was, you know, what you realize is when I completed it, I was like, wow, man, I'm putting so many, so many limitations are self-imposed. Right. And like if I'm under-indexing 
by that much in my run category yeah. or my physical category? Like, what are the areas of my life am I under-indexing? In? Absolutely. You know, like, let me yeah. just take personal inventory and see, like, well, man, what the hell am I, can I really do? Right. That's awesome. We call that the 20X factor, and that's one of the reasons for Kokoro Camp. So 50 hours of nonstop training, it's been likened to running uh, three Ironman triathlons back-to-back in terms of the output. But the whole point is that through the process, you're developing a whole new sense of what's possible, like you did in those 100-mile runs, like a whole new sense of what the human being, whole you know, human being when you're tapping into all of yourself, all your mind, all your body, all your spirit, your willpower, and you have a, a firmness about your goal, just what's possible. I mean, it really right. is extraordinary. And like you said, then you, you apply that to all, every area of your life and everything just gets better. That's cool. So yeah, yeah. You, you just answered a, a question from Charcoal Skyline. That's an interesting name. Anyways, about training for these things. So you start, you start out small and you just work your way up and then go for it. It sounds like, did you do like... Did you, after your marathon, did you do like a 50K uh, run and then a 75K or you just went straight from marathon distance to 100? I, I ran several marathons and, um, I, you know, and nothing. I just made a huge jump. Yeah. So you, you, marathon you four times practically. I trained up though. I mean, during my training, you know, I was running on the weekends. I would run, you know, back to back. I was doing. I did the marathon distance several times during my training. I did fifty milers oh, several yeah. times, but okay. I never did a, did an a official race. race. Yeah. You know, the biggest part of me in the process was you know preparing, obviously, right. learning as much as I could. Like once I knew it was possible, and I saw people do it, right. then it was just like, well, why can't I do it? Right. You know, this is a test of will, not physical. This is a test of will. And, and, you know, if you look at the guy that broke the Roger, what's his name? Bannister. Right. You know, he spent most of his time training for the, to break, to break the four minute mile, convincing himself that he could do it and visualizing. Right. So that was, it was a really great lesson for me. I bet. Hey, you know, yoga is for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things such as the first chapter of the book as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. hoo What is the hardest thing that you've done and was it uh, a run? The hardest thing physically for me probably was uh, I did a stand-up paddleboard race around Manhattan, huh. and I got caught in the current. Oh, no kidding. And, um, I was paddling as hard as I could humanly paddle and not going more than one inch. <laughs> and then I would stop because I was exhausted, and i go back 80 yards. Holy cow. That was really, really hard. I ended up crying in the middle of the Hudson, <laughs> sitting on the board crying, drifting towards Brooklyn. Um, that was – probably the hardest thing the hundred miler was was super hard and then you know in business the hardest thing for me has just been not being able to solve problems right whatever they are you know that's been super frustrating when something comes and i just despite all my best attempts and efforts have to kind of throw in the towel because i've i've had success but i've also had plenty of failure right um you know, that's always super hard to swallow. Nobody, nobody wants a, uh, 
DNF on their resume. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. But like you said, they are ripe uh, opportunities to learn and to grow. And so yeah, you know, we turn them into victories with the right uh, mindset, right framing. Yep. That's cool. So tell me about uh, David. Now, I don't, I've never met David. Of course, I know David Goggins by reputation and we served, you know, at different places at the same time together. Where did this come from? This idea that you want to live with David for a month and have him put you through the paces and tell us about that experience. Well, it wasn't planned. I, I was, I met David at a race in San Diego. It was a 24 hour race. I was running it with five guys as a relay. He didn't have, he didn't have anyone to relay with. He was was his own relay. Tagging himself. And uh, yeah, kept passing the baton to himself. And uh, the race was self-supported. So you have to bring all your own supplies. Mm -hmm. And my team, I was coming off of the sale of my company. So we overdid it a little bit. We had a massage table and a truck pulled up with food. And Goggins had three things for 24 hours. He had a fold-up chair. He had one bottle of water. And he had a box of crackers. And at the time, he weighed about 280 pounds. Holy cow. So uh, this was actually the first endurance race he'd ever done. And by mile 70, because of the lack of nutrition, proper nutrition, and because of his weight, he had crushed all the small bones in both of his feet. And he had kidney failure. So he sat down on his fold-up chair. Uh, I looked at him. And I'm like, this guy needs a medic. I mean, immediately, he was peeing blood. He was, his feet were completely jacked up. And what did he do? He got up out of his chair and ran another 30 miles to get to a hundred miles. And I was like, man, who in the world is this? And how the hell did he get out of that chair? So I Googled him and I saw that he had an amazing backstory, Navy SEAL, you know, blah, blah, crazy history. So I just said, you know what? I want to, I want to meet a guy like that. So I cold called him and um, told him I wanted to just kind of meet him and had some ideas. And I don't know, maybe I confused him. But he said, if, if, if you get on a plane tomorrow, I'll give you 15 minutes. So I flew out there and then just sitting with him for a couple of minutes, Mark, I realized that whatever got him out of the chair, whatever, whatever that mental toughness was, that drive, that whatever, whatever was making him tick, yeah. if any of that could rub off on me <laughs> – then all the different buckets in my life would improve. So I asked him to come live with me for 31 days. And uh, he said, you know, if if, I didn't know him, he didn't know me. He said, if you're crazy enough to have a guy like me come live with you, I'm crazy enough to come. And a couple of days later, he was at our breakfast table. So what was the first day like with David? What did you guys do? Uh, The first day, well, the first thing that we did was he wanted to see where I was at physically. So we went down and he wanted to see how many pull-ups I could do. And I am not super strong. I'm not super not even strong. Forget super strong. <laughs> and I did maybe eight pull-ups. Okay. And then he said, all right, drop down and wait 30 seconds and do it again. And I did five or something. And they said, all right, one more time, 30 seconds. Get back up on the bar. And I did like maybe three, two, like, you know, and I was done. And he said, all right, we're not leaving here until you do 100 more. Nice. And I said, uh, that's cool in seal land. But like where I'm, where I'm from, it's physically impossible. Like I can't do that. Right. And um, he had made one rule with me when he came. And that was I had to do everything he said or he was going to leave. <laughs> so I got back up on the bar and one by one I, I did do 100. And and that was kind of the first 
my first lesson with him, my first of, of several lessons. And that's why I wrote the book, Living with the Seal, just because I wanted to share all these kind of life lessons I learned and how I apply them to my life, et cetera. But that goes back to my self-imposed limitations like, God, man, I cannot believe how much I am limiting what I'm capable of doing. And, right. you know, I want to see in all the other areas, um, especially business, personal growth, relationships, my kids, like I must have so much more in my reserve tank. Right. And, and that, that's, what this, that's what this whole journey was about in our 31 days. It was about getting out of our comfort zone. When he moved in with me, I was in a great place in my life. You know, like so many of us, I had a routine. And routines are great, but routines are, as you know, are, could be a rut. So I was, I was like, I thought I had a great life. Work out, go, and I did, but work out, go to work, dinner with my family, repeat. I wasn't getting better. Right. I was just doing the same shit over and over. Right. So he came in and, and just kind of completely shook that up, completely shook it up, and you know, made me very uncomfortable and, and, and pushed my limits every day to rewire my brain. Yeah. What were some of the challenges he put you through besides the, the hundred pull-ups that first day? Oh, by, by the way, also, I don't know if folks know this, but David went on to break the um, Guinness 24 hour pull-up record and he did 4,030 pull-ups, I think in 24 hours. That's yeah, he, pretty he awesome. Did, he did them in 17. Did he, he did 4,000. And, and so he's done, and he's set all kinds of, he's an amazing guy with an amazing accomplishments in endurance in the endurance community right and predominantly on just unbelievable discipline and will right you know right and so he had me do you know we we i lived on a lake at the time uh he came in the winter so the lake was frozen kids were playing hockey on it and after a 10 mile blizzard run he walked me down to the lake and took a boulder and cracked a hole in the middle of it and we jumped in so it wasn't all physical right and just things like that things that just completely at the time made no sense to me. Right. But then I realized that, you know, he was basically exercising my mental toughness muscle. Right. You know, and creating a, a pattern in my head and an environment in my head that when things get hard, I'm not going to, you know, quit. I'm going to keep doing them until they're finished. Right. And, which you're a master of. And, but I wasn't, I was a, an amateur and, and still learning. Right. And, um, and that's what I wanted to get out of it. Right. You know, I, I wanted to get in great shape, but that you go in and out of great shape, right. you know, it's the daily challenges and arrows that come at you, uh, that I wanted to be able to maneuver and handle more efficiently. Right. So um, did you, or have you habituated the, uh, routine, significant challenges where you go out and, you know, continue to challenge yourself since uh, David is gone. I mean, since you're, you know, back to your normal life. I mean, do you I do. So, um, you know, I decided that I wanted to, for so many years, I was taught that it's just great to have a bucket list, right. you know, do things that uh, you, you only live once. If it's on your bucket list, do it. Right. But I felt like that was backwards because the bucket list items for me, um, were fun when they happened, but they didn't really make me feel alive. Right. So I created, can I curse on this here, Mark? Go for it. I created a fuck it list and I, <laughs> and I cool. started, I started, um, creating things that were challenging, hard that I, I could fail at that required preparation, you know, because they made me feel the most alive and they gave me the most lessons, not me taking a picture with Bono. 
you know, like that's for, for, that's great, but that's not going to really help me in my personal journey of personal growth. So I just created this bucket list and I started putting these things on my calendar that's that, you know, were uncomfortable. Right. And, and some of it, you know, some of them were super hard. Some of them were endurance based. Some of them are business goals that I didn't think I could do or whatever. And some of it is just like I'm going to take a freezing cold shower every day because, you know, it's going to remind me that of a variety of things right. that will help me when things get better, you know? So, um, uh, and, and that's what I did. And, and I started seeing a lot of improvement in the way that I approach things and still have a lot of, I have a long way to go, right. but it was great first step in, um, life is hard, man. You know, <laughs> life is hard. I don't care how much money you have or don't have, you know, but it, so your mind is such a big part of it. So, you know, my mental dialogue started to change right. and that was the biggest shift for me. Right. You know, how, how my mental dialogue, my internal mental dialogue on a daily basis changed by doing these non-traditional right. things that I didn't understand with him at first, like jumping in a frozen lake right. or, you know, or getting me up at three in the morning to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours nice. or sitting in a sauna till I pass out or whatever. All those sound really fun to me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I start my day with a cold shower too. So but this idea, <clears throat> you just said life is hard and I will take that a step further and I'll say life is hard, but it's easier if you do hard yourself, right? If you take yourself it. to the challenge, then when the challenges come, they will inevitably come then you're prepared for them. And it all does boil down to how you process those thoughts in the internal dialogue. That's terrific. A great, oh, trying to figure out the name of the book. Um, I think it's unbreakable by another seal and, oh shoot, I'm going to kick myself for not remembering the guy's name who wrote it, but you would really enjoy that. I'll, I'll look it up while I'm, I did a podcast with him a little while ago, but it, it, the whole book is, you know, talking about as a seal experience and how, you know, the internal dialogue was the essence of how we, you know, whether you survive or thrive in combat or, you know, have your ass handed to you. Anyway, it's not coming up to yeah. me. I'll figure it out. Okay. A, ni- a neat guy, though. Anyway, so cool. This notion of, you know, challenging yourself and, and this fuck it list. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've got on it right now? Like that, that you're looking at and say the ones that make you really, you know, a little bit squeamish. Well, you know, they're not all, they're not all physical. So I have, I have certain things on my list. Like I want to ride my bike cross country, but I also have things on my list. Like I stink at language. So I'm trying to learn uh, the national anthem from, for 10 different countries right now. And like, you know, I'm like, I could listen to something 10,000 times and, and not remember the first line. So it's really hard for me. Right. But um, but that's a challenge that I love because, you know, there's no real reason for it. When am I going to have ever sing the Chinese national anthem? Right. But the journey through it has been super challenging. And um, again, it's just a reminder of to myself that that I embrace this like that this is super hard for me and I suck at it but I want to try to get it anyway right. you know even though there's no rhyme or reason for me knowing the portuguese national you know anthem right yeah it's not so much about the end goal is it no no it's no about the journey. my wife thinks I'm, my wife doesn't get it either she's listening to these things she's like what are you doing right <laughs> 
That's, by, the, is, by the way, um, here's one for you. This I think this is the first time I've stated this publicly because we haven't announced it yet. But um, we're going to take a group of people on the same march that King Leonidas took with his 300 Spartans from Sparta to Thermopylae. And we're going to train every day. So we're, it's basically 30 miles of rucking a day. And we're going to do, um, you know, some seal fit wads, um, in, the, you know, during that time frame. And it'll be a seal, Navy seal, seal fit coach, you know, paired up with, uh, like four or five, uh, civilians who want to go on this challenge. We're not going to reenact the fight. That would be kind of, uh, messy. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to go out there and pay our respects to our, our brother warriors. So oh, yeah, can, consider consider adding that to your, your bucket list or your. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. All right. So we're kind of running a little long in the tooth here. What's next for you? Like, what are you working on right now? What's, what's your primary focus? Your one thing that's in your life right now? Well, I have four kids under the age of seven. So that's probably my biggest challenge, right? Cause I don't know. I wish I had a manual, how to handle this thing, yeah, don't we all but, know. um, I know. So that takes a lot of my time. And, um, you know, I'm just, uh, I have a new, I spend a lot of time on the Atlanta Hawks. I'm mm -hmm. super passionate about it. I live in Atlanta. I'm enjoying it. I'm a basketball fan. And, you know, I, I, I'm just trying to build my life resume. I'm always looking for challenges. You know, I'm trying to, on a daily basis, I love meeting interesting people. I love le reading about your journey and learning about you and, you. and the businesses that you've created and everything. So I'm just enjoying the whole process. This book journey has been a lot of fun for me yeah. because I had no agenda with it, you know, and it's led to meeting so many interesting people and so much interesting dialogue. And I learned so much about myself. So I'm going to do another, I'm the, you know, it's one thing to read about inspiration and right. it's another to live with it. Right. So I live with, you know, Goggins, a Navy SEAL, different, we're from completely different worlds. I'm a, a, a series of living with, interesting people cool so i'm either gonna look yeah maybe maybe mark i'll shack up with you for a little man hey come on out like <laughs> no um, I'm, I'm gonna live with the monk live with a couple of different you know really interesting people and write about my experiences oh that's very cool well good luck with you that know, I, will, I will share this though this you'll dig this and this will be kind of a a friend of mine told me that uh a good friend of mine's son is a rower right and the way that they, they give college scholarships are um, at one time during a year, they don't, the, the, the times on the water aren't as important as your time on an erg in a right. two, in a 2000 meter right. event. It's like, if you can row under 620, yeah. you're going on a full ride to Harvard. If your grades are there, right. that kind of thing. So, um, and he told me that the average crew member is like six to 185. That's me. Right. I'm six to 185. <laughs> So I found out that I have one year of eligibility left. Nice. At a, yeah, 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 yeah. Like a Division two, three, or a row friendly club team. So I'm going to give myself 90 days and see if I can make the Harvard crew team. <laughs> That's awesome. I rode in college at Colgate, and uh, that erg, that that 2,000 meter erg sprint is brutal. So brutal. enjoy, buddy. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> At this pace, I'm going to make a junior come make a high school team. <laughs> so if you make it, what then? Are you actually going to go? I mean, you got to. I'll talk to my wife about it. Ask her how she likes Boston. Oh, she'd love a year at Boston. You, you <laughs> say you're, you went to Harvard. I mean, that's a great resume builder. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Jesse, this has been a blast. Uh, super cool to meet you. Um, I, I'm serious about coming out to Kokoro Camp and, and um, 
And I do want to hear you sing. <laughs> and I want to, and, and since we talked about them both, I want to hear both. Go New York, go. And I want to hear Shake It Like a Work Girl. You got a deal. Or a white girl. You got a deal. Okay. That's we'll hold funny. you up on that. I'll make sure Allison follows up on you with you on that. And, and it says my guess. I mean, just we do it five times a year and just we'll figure out what it works for your schedule and get you out here. Would be incredible. That'd be awesome. All right, Jesse. Thanks again. Good luck with everything. Um, good luck with the parenting. Give my best to your wife. Tell her thanks for supporting you from me. <laughs> behind, behind well, I appreciate tree. you having me and, and reaching out to me. Yeah, no, no doubt. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. All right, folks, that's it. Jesse Itzler, what a cool guy. We had a blast. Um, keep your eye on him. Check out his book, Living with a Seal. Uh, where he lived with David Goggins. Look out for his next one, living with an astronaut on the moon or whatever it is <laughs> that he comes up with. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as usual, train hard, stay focused, have fun, and go uh, rate the podcast, especially if you like this one. All right, folks, Coach Devine out. Hoo-ya. Hey, you know yoga's for warriors. Maybe you've heard that my new book, Kokoro Yoga, is out. I'm totally stoked about this book. It's been over a year in the making. So go to warrioryoga.com to buy the book because if you do, I'll give you a couple free things such as the first chapter of the book as well as a video for recovery. So prepare your body, mind, and spirit on your quest to self-mastery by checking out Kokoro Yoga. Go to warrioryoga.com. Yeah. Make out your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frog man.